Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a Supreme Court podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Jordan Rubin. And I'm Kimberly Robinson. So this is when we'd normally do our supremely funny recap, but this, by all accounts, dumpster fire of a year wasn't that funny. So we're going to recap 10 notable 2020 moments, from the chief presiding over impeachment to Justice Ginsburg's passing. A lot happened in the SCOTUS world. Kimberly, you want to kick us off? Uh, sure. Yeah. So, uh, number 10 in notable moments at the Supreme Court is Roberts in the middle. And Jordan, that starts way back in January of 2020 when the court was still meeting in person. Remember, remember those days? Barely. Uh, those were the days of the traditional SCOTUS handshake and the newfangled pizza. And we really had a lot to be hopeful about. I really can't even remember those times at this point. It's a distant memory. <laughs> Well, back to then, Chief Justice Roberts was initially thrust into the spotlight to carry out his constitutional duty to preside over the impeachment trial of a sitting president, and he played a largely ceremonial role, ending up, uh, well, I guess pretty much in the middle, and that's probably most exemplified by this admonition from the Chief, Chief Justice following a testy back and forth between House managers and the president's counsel. I think it is appropriate at this point for me to admonish uh, both the House managers and the President's counsel in equal terms uh, to remember that they are addressing the world's greatest deliberative body. One reason it has earned that title is because its members avoid speaking in a manner and using language that is not conducive to civil discourse. So, uh, Jordan, uh, admonishing people in, quote, equal measure, is that, like, totally Chief Justice? That's basically the Chief Justice, like, body slamming someone in wrestling (laughs) for him. Well, once across the street on 1st Street, Roberts was once again in the middle, uh, this time in the middle of social issues that split the nation along sharply partisan lines. So we're talking about DACA, LGBT rights, and capital punishment, to name a notable few. So um, here we might play a clip of the Chief Justice reading an opinion for the court in uh, from the bench in one of those cases, but the court has done away with reading bench statements. Uh, in the age of COVID. So, Jordan, number nine. Sure. So another sharply divided issue, though not at the court, was the election. President Trump had expressed hope that the court would rule for him and that Justice Barrett's confirmation ahead of Election Day would help him. Uh, But that wasn't the case. And the court wound up rejecting long shot efforts from the president and his allies to overturn the results. The president's destination, West Point, where he did the coin toss and at times wore a mask while watching the first Army-Navy game played there since 1943. But even that didn't distract him from his deep frustration over losing the election. I won the election in a landslide, he falsely tweeted today, adding later, we have just begun to fight. A fight that will be hard to continue after the U.S. Supreme Court's refusal Friday to even hear arguments in a case challenging the election results. Uh, hey, Jordan, I remember that that clip because it happened at one of just the few sporting events that I actually pay attention to, the Army-Navy really? game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Who won? Uh, Army won, unfortunately. But, you know, Navy is still way ahead at like 60 to 50 or something. So it's fine. It's fine. We can give them one every now and again. 
But, you know, one thing is that I don't understand, like, the president really missed an opportunity there, right? So he's challenging the election at an Army-Navy game, and he doesn't drop in, I believe that we will win. Like, come on, what are you doing? Well, uh, I, I do not believe he served in the military, as I recall, so he might not be familiar with all of the tunes and whatnot. That's fair. That's fair. What about number eight? You tell me. Well, I'm excited about number eight. It has a little bit of a silver lining. So um, let's start with not the silver lining. The court shut down to the public in March 2020 and had to change its operations to deal with the pandemic. So one change included that the justices would hear arguments remotely and they changed the format so that they would take turns asking questions in order of seniority, of course, because the Supreme Court does everything in order of seniority. So that meant that Justice Clarence Thomas was the second justice to offer up his queries, and he did. Uh, prior to that, Justice Thomas had declined to ask questions during most oral arguments, going 10 years between asking questions at one point. In the new format, though, questions from Justice Thomas are the norm. Uh, and as a Tolkien nerd who considered naming her firstborn Luthien, here's one that I remember. But let's say the, you know, you mentioned uh, with respect to the state that the state could not, uh, uh, that after someone dies, their system is so rigid that you can't make changes because of the, uh, the death of the candidate. But I think that on your side, you, as the Chief Justice alluded to, you have a similar problem because the elector who had promised to vote for the winning candidate could suddenly say, you know, uh, I'm going to vote for Frodo Baggins. And that's, I really like Frodo Baggins. And you're saying under your system, you can't do anything about that. Well, uh, thankfully, Kimberly, uh, for your child, I do not think that you did that. But coming in at number seven, we have something a little more normal here. Paul Clement argued his 100th case at the court back in February in an environmental case. The Kirkland Partners argued more cases since then. So congrats to him on that milestone in a weird year. I'd like to invite Mr. Clement to return to the lectern. Mr. Clement, our records indicate that this was your 100th oral argument before the court. That is a rare milestone. I recognize one of the other members of the exclusive club, Mr. Needler, uh, at council table. Uh, throughout your career, Mr. Clement, you have consistently advocated positions on behalf of the United States and private clients in an exemplary manner. On behalf of the court, I extend to you our appreciation for your advocacy before the court and dedicated service as an officer of this court. We look forward to hearing from you many more times beginning, I gather, next week as an amicus <laughs> appointed by this court. Thank you very much. Thank you, counsel. Case is submitted. And then coming in, in the next couple entries, we heard from some of the justices, perhaps more than we otherwise would, including a couple of fan favorites on all sides, Alito and Breyer. First, Kimberly, what was Breyer up to that we're putting him in at the number six slot. Right. So number six is Justice Breyer's pandemic appearances. And for somebody who regularly has to convince people that he's actually a Supreme Court justice and not some random dude, he was actually on uh, pandemic appearances quite a bit. So in April, he was profiled by the Wall Street Journal's Jess Braven, uh, where we learned some great tidbits about how he has a daily two-mile run. Um, he also dropped a 
a good pot roast recipe. I don't know. I'm a vegetarian, so I haven't tried it yet. And then we got this excellent conversation with Justice Breyer at George Washington University, uh, where his bedroom was in full view. And, um, you know, Jordan, his bedroom was not totally clean. He's a messy boy. You know, the justices are sometimes... <laughs> just like us. Well, here is one of my favorite Justice Breyer pandemic appearances. It's a PSA for the census, um, something that was actively in front of the court at the time when he recorded this, uh, but he walks a pretty fine line. Hello, my name is Stephen Breyer. I'm a justice of the United States Supreme Court, and today I want to encourage you to fill out your census form. That comes from the Constitution of the United States. It says that every 10 years, Government will take a census counting the number of people, and a lot depends on it. And then, How speaking of walking a fine line or not, Justice Alito finally came out of his shell this year. At a virtual keynote address to the Federalist Society, the justice expounded on the various issues of the day near and dear to conservatives. And in a story, Kimberly, that we did on the speech, you'll recall that the reactions ranged from moving to insane. So that was a memorable 2020 moment for sure. We have never before seen restrictions as severe, extensive, and prolonged as those experienced for most of 2020. Think of all the live events that would otherwise be protected by the right to freedom of speech. Live speeches, conferences, lectures, meetings. Think of worship services. Churches closed on Easter Sunday. Synagogues closed for Passover and Yom Kippur. Think about access to the courts or the constitutional right to a speedy trial. Trials in federal courts have virtually disappeared in many places. Who could have imagined that? The COVID crisis has served as a sort of constitutional stress test. And in doing so, it has highlighted disturbing trends that were already present before the virus struck. Yeah, I really liked his, uh, you know, forget about worship, go see a Cirque du Soleil show. So if you go to Nevada, you can gamble, drink, and attend all sorts of shows. But here's what you can't do. If you want to worship, and you're the 51st person in line, sorry, you are out of luck. Houses of worship are limited to 50 attendees. The size of the building doesn't matter, nor does it matter if you wear a mask and keep more than six feet away from everybody else. And it doesn't matter if the building is carefully sanitized before and after a service. The state's message is this, forget about worship and head for the slot machines, or maybe a Cirque du Soleil show. And speaking of some fun Briar moments, or- We don't know this was Briar. We don't know it was Briar. Say, alleged. Uh, number four is the infamous flush. Okay, and uh, Jordan, you did a recent story on this and uh, you put it the best. We cannot unhear it, right? It happened. The flush happened, okay? And while it was uh, probably pretty mortifying for uh, Roman Martinez, who was the advocate um, who was answering questions when the flush happened, we do think after a, a very, very in-depth slate investigation that it probably wasn't him. It was probably probably Justice Breyer. Marketing some other product. Maybe they're going to be saying, hey, call your congressman and uh, change these laws that apply to banks. And what the FCC has said is that when the subject matter of the call ranges to the topic, then the call is transformed. And it's, it's yeah. a call that would have been allowed and it's no longer allowed. And so I think that, I think that, well, I the, that the content of the call play is different here. Well, they say a good oral argument is supposed to be just like a conversation, right? So it could just be a sign that, you know, 
they were relaxed. So not necessarily a bad thing for him. Okay. Um, Jordan, we have a lot of conversations. Please, please, let's not. Moving along. So number three, as we've mentioned, Kimberly, the court went remote this year, and those arguments kicked off in May with arguments in a patent case with Lisa Blatt squaring off against Erica Ross from the SG's office. And that's, of course, notable for an issue that we've been covering over the lack of gender diversity at arguments, among other types of diversity that's lacking in the bar. But that's how the court wound up kicking off these historic sessions. So that everybody watching would know that women often argue the majority of the Supreme Court cases, right? Ms. Ross? Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. Ms. Black? Uh, Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. So number two is Justice Amy Coney Barrett's confirmation. Um, Here she is giving her opening statement during her lightning fast confirmation hearing. I come before this committee with humility about the responsibility that I have been asked to undertake and with appreciation for those who have come before me. I was nine years old when Sandra Day O'Connor became the first woman to sit in this seat. She was a model of grace and dignity throughout her distinguished tenure on the court. When I was 21 years old and just beginning my career, Ruth Bader Ginsburg sat in this seat. She told the committee, what has become of me could only happen in America. I have been nominated to fill Justice Ginsburg's seat, but no one will ever take her place. I will be forever grateful for the path she marked and the life she led. And so, of course, uh, Justice Barrett was confirmed to the court uh, in time for the November sitting, and her confirmation means that the Republican-appointed justices now hold a majority, a 6-3 majority, on the court over Democratic-appointed justices, and that's one thing we'll be watching in 2021 is uh, how that changes the dynamics on the court. Uh, But Jordan, she mentioned Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg in her confirmation statement. Kimberly, this list wasn't necessarily in order of least to most significant moments, but I think it's fair to say that the biggest thing that happened this year for the court and maybe for the country was the passing of Justice Ginsburg on September 18th. Here's the chief paying tribute. I note that memorial drapery has been erected on the door of our courtroom and on the bench to signify mourning for Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who died on September 18, 2020. Justice Ginsburg was born in Brooklyn, New York, March 15, 1933. She received her BA from Cornell University and married Martin D. Ginsburg shortly after graduation. They briefly lived in Oklahoma, where Marty was stationed when called to active duty in the Army. They both pursued a career in law. She attended Harvard Law School and received her LLB from Columbia Law School in 1959, first in her class. Justice Ginsburg served as a law clerk to the Honorable Edmund L. Palmieri, judge of the United States District Court for the Southern District of New York, from 1959 to 1961. From 1961 to 1963, she was a research associate and then associate director of the Columbia Law School Project on International Procedure. Justice Ginsburg was a professor of law at Rutgers University School of Law 
from 1963 to 1972, and Columbia Law School from 1972 to 1980. In 1971, she was instrumental in launching the Women's Rights Project of the American Civil Liberties Union. She argued six significant gender discrimination cases in this court, winning five. President Carter appointed Justice Ginsburg to the United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit, and she served there as a circuit judge from 1980 to 1993. President Clinton appointed her to this court in 1993. She was the second woman appointed to the court and served more than 27 years. During her time on the court, she authored 483 majority, concurring, and dissenting opinions. Justice Ginsburg's contributions as advocate, jurist, and citizen are immeasurable. We at the court will remember her as a dear friend and a treasured colleague. Justice Ginsburg is survived by her two children, Jane Carroll Ginsburg and James Stephen Ginsburg, four grandchildren, two step-grandchildren, and one great-grandchild. We extend our condolences to her children, extended family, and countless admirers. At an appropriate time, the traditional memorial service of the court and bar will be held in our courtroom. So that'll do it, Kimberly. I think we can all agree that we hope next year is more funny than notable. But for everything that'll happen next year, keep tuning in to Cases and Controversies. This is Adam Allington, and I'm here to announce a new season of Uncommon Law, a narrative podcast series from Bloomberg Law. My co-hosts and I will speak with African-American attorneys and hear their perspectives on how big law is, or in some cases, isn't adapting to become more diverse and inclusive. It's not fair, but what can be better than being on the front lines of helping to make this country better for all of us? If not us, who? If not now, when? Just search for Uncommon Law wherever you get your podcasts.